again, so glad that you're with us today. Um, if, if you're a regular and you were excited last week that we were super short, y'all remember that? It, it happened. I, I've had a, several people come to me and go, man, that was really short. That was really cool. Um, and as a matter of fact, one of them said to me, we're going to do it again this week. And that was Andrew. So, uh, uh, so uh, maybe. Um, so, if you're a guest with us, what we typically do is, is we go straight through books of the Bible. You need to know that. And the reason that I say that is because we're not doing that today. Uh, so, come back again because we just journey straight through books of the Bible. We've made it to Luke chapter 8. We're not going to be in Luke chapter 8 today. And the reason is, is because we've had a weekend where we've just celebrated biblical manhood and womanhood and what that is. Uh, Not necessarily does that mean a marriage gathering. It's just what is manhood? What is womanhood according to the scriptures? What did God design? And is that perfect or is it sufficient or is it not? Should we look for something else? And so we've just reveled in that. We had a good time, ladies. I want... (laughs) I, I feel like I need to apologize to you. I was so nervous with you guys. I really was sweaty and nervous, and um, but man, it was an awesome time. Thank you guys. It was really cool. What a great time. We had 100 ladies in here um, who ate steak and chicken, and we just reveled in, in what biblical womanhood is. <clears throat> man, and men, I, I mean, I hope you liked your biscuits. <laughs> That's kind of all we've got. Uh, so, I mean, ladies, you can still smell the ribeye in here, can't you? Uh, and guys, well, Jacks, it smells like Jacks. So, um, <clears throat> all that to say, we're going to dive through that one more time today. Let's just kind of wrap up the weekend in, in summary form of what is biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, for those of you, again, who've been here, I hope you've seen that it truly was different. It, it wasn't a woman's conference or a man's conference or anything like that. I didn't set out to teach Ruth or Esther or Proverbs 31 or all the attributes of womanhood, because again, I know my limitations, and I'm not a woman, and it would be dumb for me to try to speak to those things, so we didn't do that. We just bathed you in the gospel, and who you are in Christ, and and hopefully that encouraged you. And then men, um, as promised to the ladies, we tried to light a fire up under your, you know what, and uh, and let's be men, let's act like men, and so we're just going to wrap that up. I want to do that by contrasting manhood and womanhood in an earthly form, and then also the the pre-fall form. And I think that's very important. If we're going to get a picture of what biblical manhood is in womanhood, we've got to remember that what we're experiencing in manhood and womanhood right now is not what it was designed to be, because it's fallen. We're, We're we're, we're part of the fallen manhood and womanhood. And, and what happened before the fall is different. And if we can track back to that, we can kind of see what is true biblical manhood and womanhood. So again, my goal is not to go through all the attributes. It's just to kind of hit some major issues foundationally. And if we can get those right, I think that will impact the way that it, it fleshes itself out in our characteristics and attributes of biblical manhood and womanhood. All right, that's a lot. Shut up, Troy. Let's go. Here we go. <clears throat> To understand womanhood, I think a good thing is is to realize that deep in the heart of every woman is the self-doubt that wonders, and this is no matter if you're married or not, that's not what this is about, it's this, am I desirable in outer and inner beauty? That's deep within the heart of every woman foundationally. 
And it, it comes out of the pre-fall, that, that design to nurture and that design to be desirable and to find that desire through nurturing. And so within the heart of every woman lies this somewhere deeply. Am I that? Am I desirable? Both outer beauty, which is why it's a multi-trillion dollar industry, uh, but also inner beauty. And, and, and oftentimes, more importantly, inner beauty. Am I desirable emotionally to anyone? And, and that doesn't mean, again, just in relational aspect, that's business world. Am I desirable in the business world? Am I desirable in our culture? Am I desirable all over? Okay, that's, I hope you're understanding where I'm going with this. In other words, it fleshes itself out this way. Um, if married, do I please him? Like, do I really please him? If not married, do I please anyone? Do I please my boss? Do I please my parents? Do I please it's this desire to be pleasing? And, and deep within the heart of every woman to be desirable is also this. Is everyone around me okay? <laughs> Am I doing a good enough job to make sure that everyone is okay? In other words, you could summarize it this way. In the heart of every woman is you just want to be appreciated. Am I appreciated? Am I, am I thought well of? Um, am I generally liked? Am I maintaining stability? Am I, or contrary, am I isolated? Am I alone? Am I going to be abandoned? Am I going to be by myself? So, so the fear is both cultural and self-induced. And here's what I mean by that. Culturally induced, this desirability, is this requirement or desire to, to fit in. <laughs> Do I fit in? Um, which, oddly enough, changes with culture. I have to fit into my culture, but if you move to another country, you're gonna have, you'll find out that you have this desire to fit into that culture. It's this constant desire, I want to fit in. And so, if Pinterest says everybody's wearing turtlenecks, then oddly... Every woman in this room goes out and buys a turtleneck. And right now you're like, no, I would never. Yes, you would. If in 2026 everybody starts wearing turtlenecks, you will. You just do. <laughs> and it's that desire to, 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 to fit in. It's just kind of that weird thing that happens. And I know there's some ladies in here, not me, I'm the renegade. Well, you're the renegade. Okay, great. Good, good, good job. Be the renegade. But generally speaking, that's what happens in the heart of, of women. And self-induced. And self-induced, this desirability and this fear, is a defense mechanism to prepare for unknowable loss. And man, this is pretty wild. Ladies, you really are an anomaly. I've read so many Psychology Today articles in the past week that I could choke myself on psychology <laughs> Trying to understand you ladies. And I'm, I'm proud to say that I have not figured you out. <clears throat> but here's the deal. This is why this, this fear and this desirability, this to, to protect, to be appreciated, whatever, fleshes itself in the fear of, well, I've got to think about my family being in a ditch somewhere because one day they might end up in a ditch and then what do I do? Ladies, you're laughing. Raise your hand if you've done that. Right? Braze it all over the room. What is wrong with you? <laughs> we, don't, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> but 
that's deep in the heart of females. And we need to just acknowledge that. And that's okay. Maybe that's what you need to hear, ladies, today. That's okay. That's who God wired you to be. I read this study, 1980s, Columbia University. <laughs> this is wild. And again, I want to I test this study. Columbia University. I mean, who's going to doubt Columbia University? But let's doubt them and let's go for it. All right. Columbia University did a study in the 1980s. They walked into a room and they had half the room was full of men, half the room was full of women. They gave them all a piece of paper and a pencil. And this is all they said. For 30 minutes, we're going to give you the chance to write a fear-filled story about death. That's all they said. Write a fear-filled story about death. So think about your fear-filled story about death right here. They took up all the men's articles. They took up all the ladies' articles. They got the men's articles. They started reading them. And they overwhelmingly read narratives about men writing stories about horror-filled deaths of themselves dying in the ways that they did not want to die. Women overwhelmingly did not write about themselves, but wrote about the death of their loved ones. How many ladies were like, yes, I was writing a story about... That is so wild. It's just in you. You can't rip that out. It's who God made you to be. So when somebody says women were designed to be nurturers, why on earth do we rise up against that and go, no, I'm a woman, hear me roar. I'm not meant to be a nurturer when that's who God just made you to be. That's who God designed you. And so it fleshes itself out in those fears. One psychologist said it this way. The one thing that women know to be true is that the world is a fearful place and they will hunt down those dangers like sharks hunting down their prey to protect those that they love. That's good stuff, isn't it? That's really good stuff. Ladies, you're unique. You're uniquely you. And it's awesome how God made you to be. So, where did all this come from? Where did the fear slip in? Where Where did the bad side slip in? Well, it started in the fall in the garden. Womanhood before the fall would have been endless joy. Endless joy. Endless contentment. I wrote down some things. Marriage would have been walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. That's what it would have looked like. How many of your marriages feel like that now? <laughs> right. And there's some ladies right now going, you better say yes. Gosh, you better. I will cut you tonight. We'll slice you while you're sleeping. Uh, right? That's what it would have been. Sexuality would have been painless reproduction and it would have been pleasurable recreation as God intended. Nurturing would have been stress-free, dangerless, worshipful, and indeed fulfilling. All of those things would have been true. Work. Women worked. In the garden. I, I hope, I don't, again, I, I busted the men's bubbles Saturday morning, but women, let's bust your bubbles too. Work is not a result of the fall. Work always existed, even before the fall. God designed us to work. Work's, it's never been women stay home and don't do anything and whatever. Work has always been something God has designed us to do. So work itself would have been creativity on display without any insecurities. Wouldn't that be an awesome work world? 
If you could just thrive and not have any insecurities or of your surroundings or fear of your surroundings. In other words, desirability would not have been a concern before the fall. That's what womanhood looks like. That's what God intended. And by God's grace, through Christ, that's what will be restored one day. Amen? Amen. So that's women. All right, men, y'all ready now? It's y'all's time. It's our, I said y'all's time like I'm not a part of us. Right? It's our time. Danger. In the heart of every man is self-doubt that wonders, no matter if married or not, am I? The baddest dude in the room. Am I good enough to compete with the next dude that walks through that door right there? That's deep within the heart of every man. And so it fleshes itself out this way. Again, whether married or not, there's different situations. But is she looking at another guy? Is she looking at the one that comes through the door? Does she feel safe around me? Am I boring her? Or am I boring them? Or does my boss find me safe? Or does my it's 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 the same thing. It fleshes itself out whether you're married or not. In other words, are there tangible evidences and byproducts of my bravado? (laughs) Like me flexing my bravado. Is it showing up in tangible ways? Am I able to buy the new boat? Am I able to buy the bigger house? Am I able to get the job promotion? Am I getting rewarded? Am I at the top of the list? Am I this? Men feel all those things deeply, which is crazy because women are like, I want to care for you and I want to push you and I want to help you and I want to foster that in you. And men are like, no, I, don't, I want it for me. <laughs> it's wild how we're different in those ways. But that's because God did indeed design men to be Providers. It's part of it. And the fall warped that. Instead of, I'm content in providing and trusting in God's sovereignty, we then sucked it in and said, not only am I content in providing, but I have to keep up with the Joneses. So instead of provision, it's now I've got to keep up with the Joneses. And and again, it's not only the Joneses anymore, it's now Hollywood. Because we used to just keep up with our next door neighbor, but now with social media, we have to keep up with a multi-millionaire who throws his yachts on the screen. And we're like, I don't have a yacht. I don't even have a bass tracker. (laughs) I don't even have a canoe. Am I a man? We feel that. That's part of it that fleshes itself out. In other words, am I performing enough to be seen as masculine and providing adequately for those around me? Men, do you feel that? Raise your hand. Yeah, we feel that. It pops up. It rises up. So, the fear-induced is also cultural and self-induced. Culturally induced, the concern is indeed to keep up with the Joneses, to, to, to flex and get that 3,000 square foot house in that neighborhood, or you're not a man. You're not a man, unless you're able to provide that. Men, that is a noose around your neck and a slow way to choke the life out of yourself. God never intended that. Do you trust that God is sovereign, that he has you where you are? In the situation that you're in, or you trust that you're sovereign to override what God has for you and to prove yourself? And better yet, how's it going for you, and why are you so disappointed still? Do you trust in God or not? 
So this is where it fleshes itself out. And self-induced. It's to prove yourself in, in order to keep the, keep the applause coming. And in, in my notes I put down, and to keep the ladies swooning. <laughs> and, and I put that because that's the, you giggle because that's the way it fleshes itself out. Like I look around the room and Zach clearly has the baddest beard in the room. He does. And Lissa's like, yeah, that's my man. Stand him up, Lissa, yeah. And I go, I can't grow a beard. What's wrong with me? You know, he clearly is the manliest man in the room. And, and, and we feel that and we compare and it's that contrast and all that kind of stuff. And so we have this fear. Does, does Julie Beth think that I'm as manly as Zach? That may have just made everything awkward. <laughs> But, guys, we feel that, don't we? You know, um, got to keep the bench press numbers up or got to keep the bank account growing to prove that I'm a man. Um, it's, it's, it's the Facebook reels. Again, y'all know they get me. They suck me in. They suck me in. And I'm like, tonight I'll watch three of them. And by three, I mean 3,000 of them suckers. And, and the one, have y'all seen the one where the, uh, the, let's see, a male chicken is a rooster. Um, the rooster, have y'all seen the one where the rooster puffs himself out and then he's chasing the hen and he's all puffed out, you know, and, and the hen is like, you know, it's just running. Y'all seen that? Have y'all seen that one? We're showing it next week. It won't fit with Luke 8 at all, but by gosh, we're showing it. Because it's funny. And, and, but that's how the self-induced manhood fleshes itself out. It's we feel that need to puff and prove rather than resting in God designed me to be me and trust him. And so where did it all come from? Well, the same thing, fall. The fall in the Garden of Eden. Manhood before the fall would have been endless joy and contentment. Look on the screen. Marriage would have been walking with God together in the garden of the cool of the day. Women, don't you dare think you're the only one that thinks that would be awesome. Men would love to let go of the pressures and just go, man, it would be awesome to walk in the garden in the cool of the day with my wife. With the Lord. They feel that. Sexuality would have been proud reproduction and pleasurable recreation. In other words, we wouldn't feel the pressure of, I can only provide for two. Remember, in the garden, men and women were to reproduce as much as possible and to fill the earth. And then the fall comes in and we go, yes, reproduce, but I can only have a boat if I have two kids. Y'all see where the pressure warps everything? It messes everything up. Providing would have been fulfilling, stress-free, dangerless, and worshipful. I'm going to go to work, I'm going to provide, I'm going to come home, and I'm going to rest. And you would have been able to do that. But sin taints everything. Now you go to work, and, 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 and most of y'all know me. I do, I do multiple things. 
in ways to provide for my family. And so we'll go do ministry and then we'll go do something else, to, like a little side money to be able to do this. And it's, and so you go to work and then you go to work and then you go to work and then you come home and then you sleep and then you go to work. It, it's, we, we, we lost rest. Protecting wouldn't have even existed. You ever thought about that? Protecting came because of the fall. Before the fall, we wouldn't have had to protect. It would have been perfect contentment. You wouldn't have felt that pressure. There would have been no competition, just satisfaction. I'm satisfied in me. I'm satisfied in my spouse. I'm satisfied in the Lord. And let's have a big satisfied sandwich. And sin falls it out. In other words, leadership wouldn't have been a concern. Ladies, desirability wouldn't have been a concern. Nurturing, that's who you are. Fall warped it. Leading well wouldn't have been a concern. That's who God made you to be as the provider. And the fall warped it as well. And so both. Men would have modeled servant leadership. And women would have willingly walked alongside in complete joy. As God designed. It would have been perfect. Perfect compliments, equal conf, equally confident, equally blissful, and zero insecurities. Can I get an amen if somebody would love to live in a world with zero insecurities? Amen. We would love that. And Genesis three sixteen is the verse that shows where it all got warped. Sin fell into the world, and then this little phrase here, your desire, women, will be contrary to your husband, and he shall rule over you. That one little phrase is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. It's where it all fell apart. Women said, I want to be the man. And men said either one of two things. All right, you can be the man and I ain't doing jack squat. Or I will crush you. And that's where it all fell apart. So the kicker is all of it can be boiled down to one issue that we still wrestle with today. The lack of trust in God's sovereignty. The lack of trust in God's sovereignty and his design and who he has made men and women to be distinctly, which is what this weekend's been all about. I hope you've seen who he's made you to be, women. I hope you've seen who he's made you to be, men. And I hope, women, you will let the men be men and men, you will let the women be women and, and compliment one another and see how the beautiful design is, flourishes. And if it flourishes rightly, then Jesus is put on display and that's our ultimate purpose in the world anyway. And so hopefully we've pushed that down your throat. I want to read this passage of scripture and then I want to do five things and then we'll wrap it up. Let's go back. Let's go back to what did it look like before the fall. And that's found in Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 7 and then we'll skip to verse 15. It'll be on the screen. So here we go. Genesis 2 says this, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So there's that already, that providing. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You shall or you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the knowledge of good and evil tree uh, you shall not eat. For in that day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. So there it is, men. 
You were designed, boil it down, one thing. You were designed to be providers, to be workers. You're equipped that way. That's a beautiful thing. That's who God made you to be. Work the garden, till it, go for it. Honor the Lord through your work. Make it happen. Verse 18. Then the Lord said, but it's not good. It's not good that the man should be alone. And so I will make a literally side partner, a helper, fit for him. 19, now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to all the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, not a side mate, not one that will walk alongside. He found plenty of them that were out front that he could push. He found plenty of them from behind that he could pull. But he didn't find anybody that was made for him to walk step in step. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. I'm going to pause here. This is not in my notes. But my gosh, that would be some serious sleep right there. (laughs) I'd love to have that just one night. One night of that kind of sleep would be awesome. But sin, anyway, okay. All right, 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man that he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Watch this. And then the man said, wow, this at last. You can can feel it. He's been looking at cattle and he's like, "Uh uh-uh. Pigs, negative. Birds, no way. And then in she walks and he goes, Whoo! This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She was always to be that nurturer, that one alongside, that that one that never lost the glimmer of his eye, the one that he could pour everything into and she could pour everything into him. Again, I've said this twice to the women and to the men. There is no such thing in a marital relationship as divided love. That's not biblical, that's not the gospel, and I'll argue that's demonic. It's oneness. Our love is to be poured here, and the love is to be poured back here. It's not to be shared with a friend. It's not to be shared with a co-worker. It's not to be shared with somebody at the gym. It's not to be shared with anybody. It's designed to be here. There is no such thing. All of these eggs in this basket, all of these eggs in this basket, one in one soldered together. It's what oneness means. To be that way. Nurture. And so here's the deal. It wraps up with this, verse 24. Therefore, because I've created man as a provider, sum it all down to one thing. Because I've created woman as a nurturer to come alongside and to be that perfect companion. Because of that, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed and All men said amen. (laughs) And we giggle at that. But I'm not joking. There is something very unique about the phrase that is not sexual at all. 
that they were naked and unashamed. What's the beauty of that? Their contentment and soul satisfaction was found in the Lord and who he made them to be sovereignly. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So, men who are not married, what does this mean for me? Here's what it means. By gosh, you'd be the best worker and provider that this world has ever seen. I don't have any desire to be married. Well, number one, you must have the call to celibacy. Um, If you have zero desire to be married. Um, Number two, then you pour your life out to put on display the glory of God by how awesome a worker and provider you are. Give it away. Ladies, if you're single and you don't want to be married, then again, you must have the gift of celibacy. What do you do? Then by gosh, you pour out your life to be a nurturer and a caregiver in ways that married women cannot pull off. Give your life away to serve, to love, to, 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 to display that nurturing and that care to, to whoever you are at your work, at your uh, 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 place of school or whatever that is. Give it away. Be who God designed you to be. Fulfill those roles. So five reminders and then we wrap it up. Five reminders of what biblical manhood and womanhood entails, at minimum, before the fall. Here we go. Number one, here's who men and women were made to be. Men and women were created in the image of God. That means that you men and you women have equal will, intellect, spirit, and emotion. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. That's what's different about you and a squirrel. A squirrel has no desire to worship. You've never seen a squirrel outside on a tree limb gathered with other squirrels singing, Praise you, Lord. (laughs) You've never seen that. They don't have that capacity. As much as you love your dog, your dog doesn't have that capacity. He feels things. She feels things. She don't worship. It's not built in them. Will, intellect, spirit, and emotion. That's all designed to be put on display. Men and women have that equally. And so we just have distinct roles. And the distinct roles are there is a chief supplier and a chief caregiver. But even those don't contradict. The caregiver still supplies and the chief supplier still gives care. They, just because that's who God designed you chiefly to be doesn't mean that they contradict one another. It's just that we flesh it out differently. Both providing in unique and qualified ways and both sharing responsibility as image bearers. That's men and womanhood. Men, look at women around you and realize that they are not pretty little sidekicks to wash the dishes and to keep the kids. They're image bearers of God Almighty. Women, that was women, I bit my lip. Women, look at the men around you and realize they're not just the grunts to open the stuck jelly jars and to build things. They're image bearers of God Almighty. And when we see each other that way, we won't have any problems. Men and women... We're both crafted by the fingerprints of God in perfection. From your hips to your tips to your nose to your fingers to your, your whole totality 
was designed perfectly with the fingerprints of God. Both men and women, just as you are. Just as you are. I said this to the ladies the other night, and I'll say it again, and then we'll move on. The nose that you have is perfect. How do I know that? Because it's the nose that God slapped on your face. (laughs) Your hair is perfect, or lack thereof. (laughs) Your personality is perfect. And don't you dare let anybody tell you any different, especially social media. Social media is nothing more than edited lives seeking instant approval. Don't you buy into the live social media. Who God made you to be is perfect. Men and women are designed to support one another perfectly in marriage. That is true as well. Any suggestion of insignificance or inferiority or lack of priesthood between one another is a result of the fall. We've already talked through that. And there's no such thing again as divided love in marriage. One for one, committed to the Lord. Men and women are equipped physically and purposefully by design to bring glory to the Father. That's number four. I want to say this clearly, and I don't mean this because, again, y'all know me. I'm not a super political person. I'm not political at all, to be quite honest with you. I'm the most apolitical person in here. So do not take this as a political statement. This is a biblical statement. To insist that a uterus testosterone, musculature, chromosomes, and biology mean nothing is to insist that God is ignorant. God made you physically, by design, on purpose, sovereignly. And so, two genders are what God intended, male and female, By design for his glory. Again, that's not a political truth. That's just true. And so, what we do is we go, ah, uterus don't matter. You can have a uterus and still be a man. Well, what you're saying is that God's ignorant. Your uniqueness physically doesn't just make you unique, it makes you essential as God designed. And then, number five, men and women will never be freed to thrive on earth, fallen world, apart from the hope of the Eden-restoring gospel. That's where Jesus comes in. That's where I began, everything is fallen, it's messed up, And the only way we can live here now on earth is the hope that Christ is getting us back to the Eden perspective of what we were designed to be before the fall. So everybody was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be cool to live back here. Through the gospel, you can practically and progressively as you go through life by applying the gospel. And here's how this fleshes itself out. We'll look at it. And then the band will come back up. Band, don't come back up just yet because then you'll get on to me that I said more things. Because Christ is great, we don't have to be in control. That's how the gospel realigns things. There's a fight for control between men and women. And the gospel says Christ is great, he's in control. Let's rest in that and just trust him. The gospel fixes that. 
God is sovereign over what you like and what you don't like equally. He's a sovereign God. And so your worry and attempt to be sovereign will do nothing but create more fear and instability in your world. Do you trust that God's sovereign or not? Do you trust that Christ is sufficient, that he's great? And if you do, then you don't have to be in control. Men, you don't have to be in control, women. You can trust in him. Because Christ is glorious, we don't have to fear others. That fixes manhood and womanhood. Men fear women, women fear men, and then men lie about the fact that they don't fear women, and they really do, which is on display. And if you don't believe that, then just come talk to a hundred of them on a Friday night. That's the scariest thing I've ever done. Because Christ is glorious, God alone is who you have to fear. Don't you fear anybody else. Your craving of approval or fear of rejection will lead you away from the glorious one who's Christ Jesus. Because Christ is good, we don't have to look for goodness elsewhere. God alone is our source of pleasure and joy. God alone is our source of pleasure and joy. God alone is our source of pleasure and joy. Men, you don't have to find it anywhere else. Women, you don't have to find it anywhere else. The pleasures of sin are quick fixes, but they have disgusting consequences. Am I missing something? Can I find that in another woman? Can I find that in another man? Can I find that in another what? Stop. Stop. God alone is good through Christ Jesus. And then finally, because Christ is gracious, you don't have to prove yourself. He gives you grace because you're inadequate. You know what you bring to the table in grace? Your inadequacy. (laughs) It's what you admit. If you come to the table pompously, I've got it all figured out. There's no need for grace. And Christ offers grace through the gospel God alone gives justification, meaning, purpose, via his grace in Christ. And Jesus has done it all, so we have nothing left to prove. Band, come on back up. Trust, submit, worship. Biblical manhood and womanhood. When we're concerned with our image as being desirable or providers, we're never going to experience the joy of Christ. We'll never experience it. But the gospel is the only thing that will free you. Christ's sufficiency is the only thing that will free you. It alone restores the Eden design. And is restoring it day by day. Parting shot. Men. Don't give up. Act like men. Be strong. Provide. Trust in Christ's sufficiency. But I'm inadequate. If you just said in your head, but I'm inadequate, you didn't listen to a dadgum thing I said. (laughs) We are inadequate. Christ is not. Provide, work, labor, trust in his sufficiency for you in your inadequacy. Women, don't give up. Don't give up. Nurture, care. And I get it. You're like Troy, but I don't want to be steamrolled. Man, I don't want you to be steamrolled either. But you love and care. And trust that Christ is sufficient to appreciate you greatly. Even when others do not.
wish I could say more, but we're out of time. Hey, can we pray? Is that cool? Let's pray. Well, Lord, not the emotion that I thought this would end with. But you're sovereign. So, Lord, I, I do I pray over the men and I pray over the women in this room that their identity will not be found in a ring on their finger or lack thereof. But their identity will be found in image bearers redeemed through the sufficient work of Christ. We're great sinners, and if we confess our sin and believe that you are sufficient to forgive that sin, you'll save us. And we'll experience the grace thereof. God, I pray that every man and woman in here trust in the sufficiency of the gospel and their identity in you. But also, for the marriage in this room, man, that they will be free to you just genuinely love one another by giving grace to one another. Not competing with one another, but finding their satisfaction in the fact that you, God, have united them together as one, not to moan at one another and complain, but to build one another up, to support and undergird each other where we need help. We're going to enter into a time of corporate prayer now by design.